All right. Welcome, everybody, to the All Saints Sandbox Chat. Hey, Jason, how's it going? Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You forgot wait. about our, our intro music. In 2022, do we have the same intro music, Jason? I, I was thinking as we go into a new year that it might actually shift. I don't know why I was thinking that. But. Did you think that we always had the same? I always kind of thought it was a little <laughs> Maybe a little so. Maybe All right. So. Well, All why right. don't you give me the 2022 intro music? Then? I think it's more surreal, maybe a little more, um, a lot more like. All right. I like it. Okay. All right. As I said, I am Jason Kern, Assistant Head of School for Innovation Learning at All Saints Episcopal School in Tyler, Texas. And I'm Mike Cobb. I'm the Head of School, and we are thrilled to have you back again for our ASES Sandbox Chat. And we are excited about 2022, and we are kicking off the year, raising the expectations really, really high with our guests today with uh, somebody that I've respected and admired for a long time and who does so much for our school and schools all across our region uh, with Scott Griggs from the Independent Schools Association of the Southwest. So, Scott, thanks for being here with us today. Well, my pleasure, Mike and Jason. Thanks for inviting me. Um, not sure about that intro, but we'll see. We'll see how this goes. Appreciate it. And, and, and Scott, your uh, official title is Executive Director, correct? Yes, I'm executive director of, of the acronyms ISAS, Independent Schools Association of the Southwest, as Mike has said. We uh, accredit 92 schools in a six-state region. Uh, those six states are Arizona, Kansas, Louisiana, New Mexico, Oklahoma, and by far our largest group is in Texas. As we like to say in Texas, everything is bigger and, and better in Texas anyway. So uh, I've been in the role for four years now. Prior to that, I was a head of school for 18 years and had spent a total of 36 years uh, in independent education, starting as we all do as, as the teacher, coach, and whatever else the, uh, the current head of school asks you to do at that time. All duties as assigned by the head of school. Mike reminds me of that daily. Favorite line in a contract. It used to, used to really wear me out when I wasn't the head of school. Now I love that line. <laughs> I, I totally agree. I remember transitioning to saying, oh, now I get to use that other duties. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that is fantastic. Well, we are excited, as Mike said, to, to kick off 2022. Um, we're excited about all the possibilities that go along with it. Uh, we, we continue to uh, be reminded that things are a little different, but uh, we are excited about what's to come in 2022 and um, excited about talking to you today, Scott. And, and as our uh, all our valued listeners, I think my mom and and uh, Mike's wife, um, my wife hadn't got on board yet, but I'm trying to get her to scribe. That's my that's my goal for 2022. Uh, get her to scribe. Uh, know how this goes, and and you know, as as we always talk about the sandboxes, is that in between time, that time at a conference that we went to, that we want to just sit down and have a great conversation. Not that the conferences themselves aren't great, but oftentimes those in-between conversations or those evening conversations are the best. And, and we get to sit and talk about things that we're passionate about. So Scott. And, and I, I just, I wanted to, I wanted to mention though, that uh, Scott was one of our original sandboxers from 1-0. So, I mean, if, if, again, you think he doesn't believe in us, he came to our very first sandbox. And of course now we're on our 4-0 and we're doing Sandfly events now. And 
and, and then this podcast. So, but it was people like Scott who believed in us in that first iteration to come to campus and to lean into those in-between conversations. It's so, so powerful. So we appreciate you, Scott, um, for, again, all you do to support us and uh, and, and our sandbox. It's, it's a lot of yeah, fun to be yeah. able to have this, this format. Absolutely. It was a great experience. And yeah, I love being out there. I love being with those those great thinkers uh, that you had pulled together and, and just listening and learning and, and being a sponge a little bit. And we all know that's what we do in education. We just, we, we want to learn from one another and, and share as much as we can and, and help one another out. We're all in this for the same purpose. And that is to, to do the best we can for, for our students that we serve. Absolutely. Well, and I, I want to give you a shout out and ISAS because y'all have certainly been that for us over the Golly, what has it been, 14 years that we've been doing this in the pandemic now? I mean, no, no it's just been months. But, um, you know, as we were definitely being distanced and being pushed into our own corners in a lot of different ways, the association brought us together. And I heard it from so many of my colleagues that, that we felt even more connected than maybe ever through that time, which was really hard to imagine how that can happen. But certainly, to me, one of the bright sides, and I got to know some of my other colleagues and heads of school that, that I didn't know as well through that, but it wouldn't have happened without y'all's willingness to lean into that and to create that format for us. So thank you for that. No, I, I totally agree. And it, it was just a lesson that we learned in the association world, just like schools learned. You have to had to adjust and um, I, you know, hate to use the the classic terminology, but you know, the new normal, if you will, or the pivot that we all made. And and uh, I think we learned some things that we can do better and and we plan on continuing uh, these video connections and, and, and keeping people in touch with one another. Uh, because I agree, Mike, we're closer in as, as an association uh, than we've ever been. And that's, that's from heads of school down to teachers in the classroom, wherever they may be and what they're doing, uh, and staff members as well. We're working, working to connect folks uh, on that level. So um, it's been a great learning experience in that regard, and, and uh, I'm pleased with how, how our group has responded. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, I always think about the fact, uh, you know, at our previous school, Mike and I, one of the questions on our yearly eval was, was what are the three people that you're connected to in other schools? Uh, and, you know, those connections sometimes were more difficult. It was like, hey, you got to go visit this place or you got to go down the street. You got to go to this conference. And, and who are you connecting to? And I think about now how many people were all connected to and how much easier it is to be connected in in ways that we always knew about, but but you know invention you know necessity some other invention and and it just kind of forced us to to be more connected in these virtual ways that has led to deeper conversations in a lot of times. So I'm excited about that, but. Let's kind of jump in and uh, ask Scott the question. So, Scott, what what are what are you pondering? What are you passionate about right now? Well, you know, it's it, it's interesting because we have looked at the world in a little bit different way in in the last two years, and what I've seen in terms of our school's ability to be flexible and adapt, we knew was was always there. But, but we all know schools are, are, are not great change agents. <laughs> They're very hesitant to change um, for a lot of reasons and a variety of reasons, variety of reasons, and, and some of which are, are not all bad. But 
I think what we've learned coming out of this pandemic, and I am saying we are coming out of this pandemic, um, is that we can make change in our schools and we can do uh, things differently. And I think people have been given the license to do that now in a way that they haven't been previously willing to do. And I've seen some, I've seen some exciting changes. And, and most of those changes in my mind revolve around, uh, shockingly enough, the student. What, what are we providing for the student? What opportunities are there? What agency are we giving to students in terms of them forming their own education? And that in my mind is what gets me excited more than anything else. When I see students, I don't wanna say doing their own thing, but in a sense, they are doing their own thing. They're, they're creating their path. And being able to do that rather than being in a situation where it's the same, same curriculum, same program, without any of that opportunity to create on, on one's own, I, I think is stifling. And I've seen, I've seen examples, I've seen uh, in person when I've been able to be out and visit, more opportunities of, of students you know, creating their own path. And I just, that, that and you guys know this, that's when, when you're passionate about something, that's when you're gonna do your best work. We all know that as adults. And so allowing students to find that passion, and that passion doesn't necessarily come from the traditional program that, that you guys or, or I took um, in high school. And so creating those opportunities and, and seeing schools start to move in that direction uh, has me really excited for what, what the future of education might look like. Well, you, uh, you of course are talking about one of our love language terms there with agency. I mean, we're passionate about it here at All Saints and it's part of what, you know, our E4 grant we received last year, A3 Learning to include authentic experiences, to have agency, and then to give agile frameworks. But, you know, what, I, what I've found through the pandemic is not only have the students received agency, but teachers have. And so many schools have thought they had given agency to their teachers, but they really hadn't. They've given maybe some structured agency, but very structured agency. But during the pandemic, you're kind of like, whatever it takes, whatever right. you got to do. And all of a sudden, we learned that, you know what, that worked out, you know, that, that, that maybe that was okay. And I've always argued that, you can't have student agency if you don't have teacher agency. Right. And so right. I really love to see how so many schools have been, again, in some ways forced into this innovation, but through that, they've actually learned how to lean into the agency for both teachers and students. Well, and I agree with exactly with what you said, Mike, is that the teachers were kind of forced into it. Administrators were saying forced into it, as you said, do whatever you have to do. Oh, okay, whatever I have to do. Maybe, maybe I, I will try this now. Mm -hmm. And knowing that that freedom to do that was there in a way that even though we said it, we may have said it previously, it really wasn't accepted by most faculty. Because, yes. you know, faculty, by and large, many faculty are not risk takers, right? Mm -hmm. sure. you know, that's, I think that's part of their culture. And uh, allowing them to take risks, or, or in this case, uh, there, there were no options other than taking a risk. Um, has created some of these, some of these programs that that you know are allowing students to go off on their own and and build things and do things and and and, and pursue different things in a way that they just wouldn't normally in a traditional program. 
Yeah, I think I think the interesting thing to me is because the history of our schools is so deep, which is a, a blessing. It can be that curse, though, because we often said, hey, do whatever you got to do. We'd say the same thing when they're on campus, but but we know what it looks like. Yeah. Do whatever yeah. you got to do. But here's what we think it's going to look like when you're done. And you just you strip most of the agency away. But when we went into remote learning or to hybrid models, we didn't have a necessarily a, a vision for it that was going to look like all the way. And we had to give out a little more agency. And again, I, I see it even in our school, which I hope that we were doing a little more of that than maybe some campuses were. But even we've grown so much in how we've allowed our teachers to have even increased agency. And of course, our students on the, the other extreme of that. So, I mean, it, it is incredible though. And again, we spent a lot of time talking about the downsides of what's happened over the last many months, but there are, there are a lot of upsides and how we've stretched certain muscles, how we've had different mindsets that have been given or forced to us, you know, so right. I, I'm appreciative of that. Well, and, and, and again, I agree, Mike, that, that I think many faculty feel like they know what school is supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. And certainly, our parents feel like they know what school should look like. Yet, because of the pandemic, parents had to step back a little bit. And I think they were, they were so happy we were operating, that we were open, that we were doing our things. They're like, they were a little bit like us, do whatever, whatever it takes, right? And so that just, I think that freed faculty in a significant way now is that pendulum going to swing back with our parents, with our quote unquote customers? Mm-hmm. And, and how are we as a school administrators, as faculties going to hold on to say, no, no, just what you did. We learned a lot during the pandemic and there are some different ways to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I've often said that um, I used to say when I was head of school, when we were doing admission events, to parents who were coming to visit the school, to, I would say that if this school looks like what your school looked like, you better turn and run away. Mm-hmm. You know, things things need to be different than they were uh, when you were in school. And and believe me, I, I I sat in those desks in rows and you know was you know the compliant student and all that. Uh, I know you find that hard to believe, Mike, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know. It's a it's a different day, and that that process was accelerating through the pandemic, without question. Well, and, I, and I've been fascinated personally over as you give teachers and students more agency. You know, a lot of people think that oh, you just kind of take your hands off and, and and let them run where they want to. But I've found that having what we call our north star, but really a strong mission, vision, core values. Um, becomes even more important during when you're giving more agency to your teachers and students so that they know where the guideposts are. What are the markers that allows them to make sure that they're going in the right direction as they take agency? Have you noticed, I mean, you've got such a unique perspective uh, being over 92 schools that, that there are commonalities in that or other pieces that have made schools uh, more successful in this agency? Well, I think I think it does get back to what you said, Jason, and, and about your mission and, and, and about you know, your North Star, as you guys describe it. What are what are we trying to do? What is that that binds us together? You've got to have something that binds you together as as a community and as a school. And it's not like okay, 
we're going off in any direction we want to go go into. Um, and as long as that core is there, that's when success occurs. And as people know, okay, here, as you said, the guideposts, what are the guideposts that I have to operate within? And as long as they know that, there's opportunity for success. Um, it's, when, it's when folks go off uh, those rails, if you will, um, and it's not consistent with the mission or it's not true to what you want to do or how you want to, to go about it, that problems can arise. But I've not seen that. I mean, our school, the great thing about our schools is we all have very, very dedicated and clear missions. And folks who work in the independent school world know that it's a different environment than the public schools because of the unique missions that we have. And we've got 92 unique missions across, uh, across the universe. You know, I would say that even though sometimes, and this has been debated a lot, the mission statements and that type of thing and how different they might be or not, um, even though the words may not be that different in some cases, there's a culture that goes along with the mission of the school that is unique. And, and I can say clearly we've got 92 unique cultures within the association. And that culture helps create those guideposts that you're talking about in terms of the direction then of the institution. So um, I've, I've not seen challenges or, or significant issues whatsoever um, with, with folks going way off the reservation, so to speak. I, I just wanted to uh, add to that, that what's interesting to me that as we have given more agency, and I hope this uh, offers some encouragement to those that are trying to, to stretch for a little bit more, is that it actually makes you ask the question, the why question often. It makes you really focus on the North Star. I, I have been in schools and even been in situations where things were so prescribed that I didn't even have to ask the question. Like, I don't know why we're doing this, but this is what we're supposed to do. But when we give agency, we often ask the question, how does this help us to live out our North Star and our teachers have to defend it, our students know what it is. And so yeah. I, I find that the more agency, and if you have the North Star, I don't, I don't think you can do it the other way around. You gotta have your North Star first and then you can give agency. But once you do that, it'll draw more conversations back than when right. you have prescribed learning and everybody, they're just doing what they're, they're supposed to do. They don't know why, but they're just doing it. Mike, that's so true. And just, just what you said about forcing the conversations and asking the questions. There are there are schools out there where the question never gets asked, as you as you mentioned. Well, it's just what we do. I'm not sure why. It's what we do, uh, and and that's not a very healthy healthy environment. So so being able to constantly ask the question, how does this reflect upon what we want to do? How does this advance what we want to do? Extremely valuable conversations, whether that's students or faculty. Right, should be both. And I think one of the things that, that we've noticed is the more often you ask the questions, the more you figure out, um, A, what is your true North Star? What is your true mission vision? And I think that we all understand that. But I think a piece that that we're um, not, not, I mean, we're discussing, it's really pondering and, and passionate about right now is how do we measure what matters? Because um, we may be measuring the same way we did 
10, 20 years ago. And, and if we've shifted like you're, you're talking about and, and said that we've done that, but we're not measuring it, then, then I think that we're missing out on opportunities. And that's been a big push for us um, at the, the latter half of this pandemic is, okay, we've made these shifts, but, but now how are we assessing? How are we measuring what matters? Um, and, and that's fascinating to me. I, I, I will follow your progress on that topic very closely um, because it's a it's a huge issue in our schools. It's been been with our schools forever, um, even in the traditional environments. How did we measure measure our success, if you will? And so many times that just fell back to test scores, uh, college admissions those kinds of things. Well, hanging your hat on college admission anymore is a, is a failing prospect um, because A, they're, they're wonderful, wonderful, talented students who say, yeah, I'm not, I don't think college is, is in my future right now or maybe never and, and very successful um, adults, young adults uh, doing this, this right now. So, so that's a piece of it. Um, and then I just I just think that that it's been a struggle for schools everywhere, whether it's public or private, in terms of of measuring what you do. How do you assess what you do? And I just there there's unfortunately not a great measure right now for are asking students. I mean, it's subjective. Are you passionate about what you're doing? Do you love what you what you're doing? And that's that should be the key factor in my mind um, in, in terms of this, because then they're digging in, then they're they're learning, they're getting up, coming to school every day, anxious to get back at, at what they what they did yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, and we can we can make those surveys, we can get that data, um, but is the broader world ready for deciphering that data? and accepting that data. We are, um, the three of us on this screen are, but I'm not sure how many people beyond that are willing to accept that. And then you come back to the old adage of, well, we ROI, where's that return on investment? I wrote that big check to you guys in the fall. I, I see my, my child's happy, but, is it going to lead to X, Y, or Z? Mm -hmm. So, well, that's the interesting, uh, Scott, and it's certainly part of our conversation. We've leaned in really, really hard with creating dashboards for every one of our core areas. And I have to give a shout out to Kelsey Vrooman and uh, Mission and Data, who have been huge. We've been doing this for three years and had kind of got stuck in a place. And when we signed on with them, we have now catapulted. But, but what we really have seen, though, is this, is that most of the old measures that really truly did matter, because there were some that did matter, that, that were mm -hmm. important. They weren't the end all, but they definitely were indicators for success. Sure. And what we found is that there are corollaries between if a kid's happy and what their test scores may be or where they end up going to college or if they stay there for their four years. And that's the important thing, because then we can now cross it back and say, you know what? That data was still important, but we can actually look at other things that actually point maybe even better towards it in the future, but for today. And so, you know, we're doing a lot of things where we're, we are looking at data all the way down to our, 
our lower school kids where we're looking at some of our core values and how they're living those out and what they feel about those things, but all the way up into our authentic experiences. And so I, I do encourage schools to think about it because I think that we have to, one, we have to be less anecdotal about the decisions we're making. So many right. times in schools, I hear people say, you know, I don't know, I just, it, it feels good. I think we're doing good. I think, yeah. well, what does that mean? You know, I don't know. It, it feels good right now. Yeah. We got to move away from that. And then we also have to be able to demonstrate to these parents down the road that that did work, right? So this data that we had does support that this has worked. And we've been blessed that we've been able to do that with a lot of our authentic learning. Uh, six years ago when we started, to be honest, we had a lot of parents out saying, just trust us. <laughs> I don't have a lot of data yet, but but we have shown now that our kids who yep. did join a fab lab or joined an e-cafe, it actually helped their college application. It actually helped them do better, not only in that process, but when they got to that next level. And we had to get through that, but we have the data now. So I, I encourage schools that are afraid to do it to get in there and dig in deep. Well, and, and uh, totally agree with that. And, and what you're doing with that agency that I think traditional schools lose a lot of is creating that independence for students. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're simply marching along in your classes with, you know, 12, 15, 18 other kids, whatever it might be, just going from class to class, what independence have you gained in that experience? You know, the experiences you guys are providing allow individuals. Now, there's collective work, obviously, as well, a lot of it at your place. But there's independence there created in a different way than, than in the traditional program setting. And that's, we all know that independence is so critical for success. I Colleges mean, are looking for it now. Absolutely. I mean, that's something that we can, we can uh, demonstrate. Yeah. Um, we have a great story uh, recently. I won't use any names to protect the uh, innocent here, but a student who's going to a very selective school that starts with an S. And uh, and honestly, his application was pretty normal, if you will, for their standards that had every AP class and was a very high-ranking student. But they said to him after, what really made the difference was that he had helped join and form a thing called Makers on the Mission, where they were doing the prosthetics here at our school and that that made him stand out, you know, and yeah. it took time away from his academics in some ways, but, yeah. but that authentic experience and that right. agency that he took to jump into that is what made the difference for him, you know? So again, yeah, we could look at the acceptance rate to Ivy league schools or whatever, but it really wasn't that, that it was really what he right. did here that made that actually even possible. So let's mark yeah. how many kids are doing things like starting prosthetic programs or right. starting initiatives like that in your school. Then you will know how many kids you'll get into those other levels. And, and my, my issue and challenge then for that college that might start with the letter S is how are you going to continue providing that agency for this student? What opportunities exist within your program for those students to continue to do that? So uh, sometimes it's there, but more often than not, the kids, and they're great at that level, the kids, again, you've created the independence, they're going to go find it. They're going to figure it out on their own and, and create that that opportunity for themselves, but but yeah, I don't get me started on colleges, by <laughs> And I also think that sometimes we we equate um, success and happiness in, in the the roundabout way. Oh, well, they have really good grades. They yeah. are excelling in X Y Z, and therefore they are happy. Yeah, how can they not be happy? Right, <laughs> and, and 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 we would argue that that no, they are happy, and that is why they are excelling. Right. They have everything we've told them they want. Right. <laughs> yes. Right. 
And, and so that that when we go back and are trying to measure these these core values and how we live out our mission, we want to make sure that that kids are tied into at least one, if not multiple areas of that, so that they, as you said, want to come to school for X, Y, Z, right? That they have something that gets them out of the bed the morning and gets them to school and gets them excited about being here. Yeah. And then that happiness translates to success in those more traditional monikers, right? If I'm having a good time and I'm enjoying being at school, I'm going to do well in the academic pieces or the athletic pieces. While if I'm just doing it like I did when I went to school, which was how can I do the minimum amount to keep my parents off my back, which was, you know, I could get slide by with A minuses. I found that and that's what I did. And that's how I succeeded in, right. in high school. But I never really learned anything. All I learned is how to play school. Right. Um, and, right. And it's so, a game. It's oh, a I, game. Got really, I got really good at it. Yeah. Um, but the game could, kids have to figure out, right, yeah. yep, to be successful and or happy. Yeah. I was at a school recently and, and you know, the school was showing off their their makerspace area, their you know their their independent project area, and had some students there telling us about the projects. And there was a sophomore girl who was there, who had the robot that she had built during the pandemic. You know, had that independent time, was able to do it, and she had the robot talking to us. We'd ask questions. The robot would move around. The robot did the robot dance. I mean, it was just, and I was just thinking to myself about how fantastic that is. And that experience of, of that girl and building that robot had to be just unbelievable and something she's going to carry with her and then take off into other projects. Yeah. So sounds like a really cool kid. Jason yep. knows that um, part of my pandemic was uh, training my robot mechanoid to do some of those same things. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, absolutely. That sounds like a great project. <laughs> they don't like mechanoid around here. I'm still training him to be the head of school someday. So, <laughs> so I, I mean, I think that this kind of takes us into kind of that second question of, as you've seen these shifts in agency and, and more opportunities for students. Um, do you see students uh, with more of an idea of, of how they can impact their world? You know, they get more excited about the idea of, of how can I have an impact outside of AP Calculus and, and those types of things. And then has that increased with that agency that you've spoken about? No, I think it has. And I think that's one of the the strongest benefits of this increased agency and allowing students to, to find their passion and to identify an area where they want to make a difference. And whether that's environmental, uh, in the medical field, political, whatever the case might be, um, I, I hear more examples of our students taking off and going down that path and committed to that. And, uh, you know, I think that bodes well for us, for our future, without question. So, you know, indeed, Jason, I think you've, you've hit it, is that this opportunity for kids to define their path in different ways is going to allow them to pursue these things and, and really dive into a full commitment where they wouldn't have had that opportunity previously. Yeah, and, I, and you know, I... 
I'm going to be careful here. I don't want to insult anyone that I'm making a comparison that may be too much of a stretch, but you know, this generation of kids is living through something that is certainly historic and they are very concerned about our world. They're concerned about not only what the results of a pandemic are, but on, on, on racial relations and race relations and, and how we treat each other. And, and it, it is, it reminds me a lot of the great generation that lived through a lot of stuff. And I think that giving agency to this generation in particular is important because they do want it. They care. And I will insult the the 80s kids, which I'm one of those. Like, I'm not sure that we want to do much good with ours. You know, Sandinas rules was was our mentality. But I think that this group needs it yeah. and they want it. And if we don't give it to them, we're, we're missing a huge opportunity with this this yeah. generation of students. Are, are you referring right. to the greed as is, is uh, lack of a better word, good generation? Is that, was that what you're yeah, leaning I'm, into I'm, there? I mean, I still, it. yeah, Wall Street, I didn't know who the good guys and bad guys were. I was an 80s kid, right? Where the bad guy? I thought he was a good guy. Yeah. No, the, these these students, you know, they, they've had a tough, tough road. I mean, there are three school years now that have been impacted by this by this pandemic in significant ways. And, you know, without without an opportunity to pursue some passions and do things a little bit differently, there are, I hate to say it, there's a large group of students that that are, are I don't want to say uh, stifled, but I will. I mean, they're just stifled in certain ways. And those that have been able to chart their paths, find the passion, do these things are, are really going to make a difference. And, you know, I, as I said before, I think that's encouraging, that's exciting, and it's, it's clearly much needed. You know, this, uh, hopefully I'll live long enough that we get out of this to see, you know, be able to, to look back on this and, and see the impact of total impact of, of what this pandemic has caused and how folks have responded in different ways and how this generation of students has responded. I do agree that this is gonna be the most, most activist um, generation um, that we've had since my days in the 60s, I will say back, uh, you, you youngsters uh, back then. I, I do think that it's fascinating to, to think about in 15 to 20 years, the studies that are going to come out about this generation yeah. of kids. You know, I, I get discouraged, not for the kids, but for the adults that talk about learning loss and all of right. these things that right. are going on. Because while I do think from a traditional metric, there may be a little learning loss. I, I really think that, that our kids are going to come out on the other side of this more resilient and more um, committed to making a difference in their world because of this. And so I, I can't wait to to fast forward 15, 20 years and just see what, what those studies are and, and what's going to come out of this. Cause you know, I think that we've all shifted, as you said, to, you know, we're coming, we're coming out of this, we're going to come out of this. And, and what are the things that the good things that are going to come out of it? There's obviously things that were bad and uh, in, in it, but there's obviously things that are going to be great coming out of this as well. And I'm excited to, to really look back in a longer time and say, yeah, we may not have thought about that, and I wish we would have capitalized on that a little bit more. And, and we certainly try to st start all of our conversations of what are we going to take good 
out of what we've learned in anything. Right. And, right. and we talk about that OODA loop and that, that reflection. And I hope that everybody takes it, the opportunity to, to take advantage of that. Yeah. And we, we've always talked as educators about student resiliency. And, and that has always been there, but I agree with you uh, th this group, uh, <laughs> they've got an extra layer or two uh, in terms of that. And, and that's gonna pay dividends in the, in the long run for us. I don't wanna, I don't wanna underestimate those students who are having challenges and, and the, the wellness issues that are out there um, because they are real, they are, they are significant, but they're, I still think those students are also going to rally um, and, and come through in a, in a positive way uh, and, and do many good things. I really, really think it's mm -hmm. it's going to present an upside for us. And it, that's, I mean, that's our country. I mean, that that's how we respond. That's how we react as, as a nation, how we react as, as a country. So I, I truly believe that will happen for us. I totally believe that. And Jason and I talk a lot about this, that the other side that people don't think on as much is the authentic learning and the agency we give our kids is social emotional learning though. Just like yeah. you said earlier, when a kid wants to be at school or feels like it's important what they're learning, then they have meaning, they have value. And then it, it all comes back to that. So we talk a lot about, yeah, people think we do the um, authentic learning student agency because it's more fun or it's flashy or look at this, but it really comes back to that happiness question, that, that belonging quotient for our kids. And that's where it actually comes from, not from sitting in a class that had, you know, a great handout, but from needing to be at school because the chickens are waiting on them to be fed today or having to go see Mrs. T down at the Outdoor Learning Center. Those are SEL things in our school. What, 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 what are the kids call it? Uh, FOMO, fear of missing out, you know? And uh, you know, I I can't miss school. I I I got to be there. I want I don't want to miss that experience, and I've got to yes. be involved. So fear of missing school. Phones. Yeah. You know, we got to have more phones. <laughs> <like> yes. <laughs> yeah. No. So true. It is so mm -hmm. true. Well, so our last question is um, kind of the the big um, one that we just let our guests go wherever they want to go with it, Scott, and it really is. What's your moonshot for education? Um, what is that thing that you think is the, the big transcendent um, move that we can make in education or that might be coming down the road whether we like it or not? Well, I, I think we've been talking about it, you know, uh, as from, from the start here. You know, what, what I would hope is that our schools create the opportunities that we've been discussing for, for their students provide that agency, provide that opportunity for independence in learning uh, to create, to do, to ex experiment in, in different ways than we do, do right now. Uh, you guys are doing a great job with it there at All Saints, but I wish more of our schools would be going in, in your direction and, and doing, doing these things in a significant way. You know, my, my moonshot is, is for all those, all of our students to, to come to school excited, passionate about learning, about what they get to do that day. And then you, you have to, you have to tell them, no, sorry, you need to go home now. It's, you, you have to leave at some point, um, you know, and just having that, that kind of experience. Um, you know, the other, the other piece I would add is, is, is access. 
um, access to quality education for all of our all of our students across the country. Mm -hmm. I think the divide is getting greater um, in terms of what I see uh, around you know our region of the country in terms of what's available and what's being offered uh, to students. Um, and there'll be a price to pay for that um, as a country as well if we're not if we're not moving all of our students along um, in, in very positive ways. And so I would love to see what we're doing at our very, very best schools, you know, just multiplied and shared and, and uh, given to, to a much wider uh, swath of our, of our students across mm -hmm. the country. Um, I love that. When I hear you talk, I, I, I hear that I want schools to look more like the real world, right? I mean, I want our schools to look like what kids are doing in it, looking like what we actually do in the real world, but also what it looks like. What, what does that look like? Who's involved and who has access to it? And I'm sure that's one of my moonshots, Scott. So I, I love to hear you yeah. talk about that because that's something that we believe in deeply here is that we, we have to have what our kids are doing, the skills that they are actually honing here actually look like the real world and apply, but also who they're doing it with and all right. that has to look like the real world or it loses its meaning down the road or can have a meaning we don't intend. So that's powerful stuff. And I think one of the things that, that go into your second point of access and, and wanting every student to have that, obviously we want every student to, to be able to go to the best schools. But I think the biggest thing and part of why we do this chat and why we do the sandbox and we get together at different places is to share those great ideas. There are so many great ideas in education across public, private, charter, every school. If we were all sharing those best ideas and we could all um, just commit to, to doing those and, and sharing that instead of keeping it, you know, on our campuses or in our classrooms that, that everybody's going to be better off. And as you said, society therefore is better off. And, and that's why I just think that, that the half hour, 45 minutes we've spent today is just so powerful to me because it is having those conversations and thinking deeply and sharing, uh, you know, our ideas and what we hope that makes school great um, out to everybody. So I just want to first say thanks so much for taking the time yes. to, to do this with us. Uh, it's we been so great that. to watch you over the time and, and see how much impact you're now having in the association, uh, not only in the Southwest, but across the nation so so thanks scott yeah we appreciate it so much and again being one of our original sandboxers it's exciting to uh, again get to bring you back uh, i should plug that next week we have our next ases sandbox event and we're bringing together nine folks from across the country with some other folks here local that will be part of that so we're pumped about uh, our sandboxers so hopefully some of them are listening and then we are looking at having our uh, first remote sand flea event that will be uh, later this year uh, in North Carolina. So um, again, if you are a sandboxer or a sand flea that <laughs> is listening to this, know that's coming down the road. But as we sign off, Scott, would you please give a little plug to where people can follow you and the work of ISAS so we can put that in the notes below, but they can also uh, check that out. Well, unlike, unlike some people, I'm not a big social media guy, Mike Cobb, but uh, <laughs> I encourage folks to go to our, our website, isasworg 
Uh, we post a lot of materials there uh, in, in terms of what we're doing and what we are all about um, and, and encourage you to uh, get involved and, and or contact me at any point in time. My email is sgriggs, S-G-R-I-G-G-S, at I-S-A-S-W.org. Would love to hear from folks and uh, hope to stay. You have, you have like, I don't, how many different groups do you have that are getting together remotely right now and visiting and talking on a regular basis? And then also uh, all the conferences we have. Yep. I mean, well, you can just give a short plug because we have probably some teachers listening that don't sure. know of some of these incredible things. We have we have 16 different groups that, that we're doing monthly check-ins with right now. Everything from early childhood, lower school counselors to heads of school to board chairs uh, and, and uh, every group you can imagine in between, whether it's deans of students, division heads, uh, we, we try to accommodate all. We also are doing webinars on a regular basis. We just had a staff meeting this morning and we're scheduling a few webinars that are coming up on, on different topics. So keep your eye out for those. And then, yes, Mike, we had six uh, in-person conferences this fall that were very successful. Uh, for different groups, uh, our trifecta with heads of school, board chairs, uh, and CFOs. Uh, we had a dean of students. We had a DEI group. We had um, uh, what did we else? What else did we have? Department chairs, first ever department chairs, which was a great uh, success for us. Um, and, and we're having we're scheduling admission directors and athletic directors for the spring. We've got fine arts directors coming up in a couple of weeks in Austin, Texas. Um, and uh, we, we run the gamut, but uh, we're out there a lot and trying to support and help. Um, that's our mission at ISAS. We are, we are here to serve our schools. And so if uh, you're an ISAS teacher or administrator and you're not plugged into one of these, you need to get plugged in. They're, they're great and they're invaluable resources. So check it out for sure. Appreciate Thanks for that. And, and Jason and Mike, thanks for inviting me. Uh, it was a, a pleasure being with you and love talking with you guys as always. And, and uh, as I said, I, I follow you guys closely and uh, look to what you guys are doing and, and trying to push that out as well to, as many many of our folks as possible so keep doing a great work thank you so, so much scott. scott i appreciate it well uh, guys again check the notes below and uh, make sure you see all the great things that isas is doing and go to their website and again we wish you all a happy 2022 and keep checking in on our ascs sandbox chats we'll have another installment in about 30 days and we'll have some fun things to talk about because we'll have had another sandbox in between now and then so we'll have some great details to share with you who knows, Jason, maybe we'll do a sandbox chat while everybody's here. We can always do that, couldn't we? Yeah, we could do a reflection at the end. That'd be fun. All right. All right. Thanks again, Scott. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Yep. Thanks, guys. Bye, guys.